Well, I, I know we've got some guests this morning, so I want to say welcome in Christ's name. It's good to have each and every one of you with us this morning. Uh, we are in a sermon series called By Faith, and we began a conversation last week um, looking at what does it mean to have faith. This word faith uh, it's, it's kind of a, a strange idea or a strange concept. On the one hand, faith um, kind of seems mysterious. It seems uh, a, a little bit um, uncertain, a little bit unknown. But on the other hand, we also use this word faith in, in uh, I think, far too often in a casual way, even a flippant way. And, and so we just thought we're going to spend five weeks really talking about what does it mean to have faith? What does it mean to live by faith? Because we use this word so much, and so we thought we would uh, spend a little bit of time really drilling down um, uh, with this word. Um, if you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to go to the book of Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews is in the New Testament. You may need to find this, and, and we're going to spend these five weeks in Hebrews 11, all five weeks. And each week... Uh, we're going to look at one of the uh, heroes of the faith. Um, this is the, the chapter uh, of Hebrews known as kind of the Hall of Fame of the saints, uh, the great cloud of witnesses. Um, it's the people um, who lived long, long ago, people who lived faithful lives. And so each week we're looking at a couple different characters um, from the book of Hebrews. Now, um, I'm just going to read Hebrews 1, because um, uh, this is going to give us a definition, and this is going to guide us through our time together this morning. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And so if we were to create a, a mathematical formula, it might look something like this. Hope plus confidence equals faith, right? Hope plus confidence equals faith. Because when we talk about hope, hope is kind of this um, nebulous term, this kind of 50-50. It, it really speaks to the desires of our hearts, something that we really want. I hope I get an A on my social studies quiz, right? or I hope I get a promotion at work, or I hope I get a date, or I hope I get a new car, or I hope my basketball team wins this year, or something like that. It's, it's something that we hope for, something that we desire, but we're not really sure, right? It's hope is kind of a toss the coin up 50-50. It might happen, it might not happen, but I sure hope it does happen. Faith is so much more than that. Faith is this idea of hope, it's the desire of the heart, plus confidence gives us faith. See, there's something to it. It, it kind of tips the scales a little bit. So when you've got hope, it's kind of 50-50, right? But when you've got faith, it's maybe 60-40, 70-30, 90-10, right? I mean, it's, it's really this idea that you have confidence that this is really going to happen. And that's what faith is. There's this confidence, this assurance about the future that we cannot see, but we believe in our hearts that God is going to show up and God is going to help us uh, in whatever we are struggling with. And so that's the definition of faith that we are working on as we go uh, throughout this sermon series. One more thing I want to say about this idea of faith. Hope is forward-looking. Everything is looking towards the future. Faith is also 
future looking, but it's anchored in the past. So it's looking forward and looking back. And we can look forward because we look back and see all the evidence of the things that have happened in the past. And those things that anchor us in the past help us to live into the future. So Hebrews uh, 1, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance, this is confidence about what we do not see. And then uh, verse 2, this is what the ancients were commended for. The people who lived long, long ago. And so today we're going to look at another couple ancients, people who lived hundreds and thousands of years ago. Let us pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for this morning, for this great reminder that this world is not our home, that you've got something better for each and every one of us. But God, we're still here, and you've still got work for us to do, and we've still got problems, we've still got struggles. And so, Lord, we need you. We need you to help us, to guide us, and to direct us. Give us strong faith, Lord, to face whatever we're facing today as we look to you. And God, now as we continue through Scripture this morning, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So if you're here last week, let me, uh, we talked about Abraham. And if you were not here last week, let me give you a little bit of a recap uh, from what was going on last week. So long, long ago, hundreds, thousands of years ago, God came to a man by the name of Abraham. Now, Abraham was uh, a fairly insignificant farmer. He was uh, pretty wealthy, though, and uh, God came to him and he said, Hey, Abraham, come out of your tent. I want to show you something. Now, Abraham lived in a land called Ur, which is today in modern-day Iraq. All right. And so he said, come here, I want to show you something. And so he said, look up at the sky. It was nighttime. And so Abraham looked up at the sky and there were stars flickering. And if you've ever looked up at the stars at night and it's, it's dark outside and it's just the, the stars are dancing and bouncing and it's just, it's just wonderful, right? It's amazing to see the stars in the sky. And God said to Abraham, look at the stars. That's going to be your ancestors. Abraham's like, wow. That is amazing. Look at that. Millions and billions of stars in the sky. And God offers him this promise that I'm going to, that's going to be your descendants. They're going to be your people that come after you. You're going to be a nation of millions and millions of people. And Abraham, like, God, that's awesome. But I don't have any children. And Abraham and Sarah, at this point in time, they'd already been collecting Social Security for about 10 years. Right? I mean, they are not spring chickens. And so God offers this promise to have them a nation like this. And they're like, are you kidding, God? How are you going to do that? And God said, oh, no, it gets even better than that. Not only am I going to make you a nation of millions and millions of people, but the nation that I'm going to create from you and your wife, Sarah, they are going to be a blessing to the nations. I'm going to bless you, and then you, your tribe, your people are going to be a blessing to the nations. And Abraham's just like, wow. And God says it gets even better than that. I'm going to give you land for your people to live. Abraham's like, that is amazing. So 
Abraham's like, well, what do I do, God? Where do I go? And God says, I want you just to pack up everything and start walking. And so Abraham and Sarah start walking west. And the story from the book of Genesis tells us they went by faith. Now, fast forward a few years, and uh, they're both close to 100 years old. And they have a baby. It's a miracle, right? They have this miraculous uh, baby, and uh, they name him Isaac. And Isaac grows up into a man. And Isaac, pretty soon, he, he finds a woman, and her name is Rebecca. And Isaac and Rebecca, you know, they, they get married, and um, they're like, well, let's, let's have kids. Well, it tells us that Isaac was about 40 years old. We don't know. Scripture does not tell us how old Rebecca was. She was probably younger, but she was getting up there in age. But they don't, they're not able to have children either. But pretty soon, Rebecca gets pregnant, and all is good, right? Is this disturbing some of you that I'm a guy putting my hands on my stomach? <laughs> I've been eating a lot lately, so I could just make the visual really work for you. You know what I'm saying? So Rebecca and, and, and Isaac, they're going to have a baby, and they're so excited. But things are kind of crazy inside of Rebecca because things are really moving around a lot, more so than normal. And, and, and she's just got, you know, like Winnie the Pooh, rumbling in her tummy, right, over and over. And there's this kind of this, this battle going on. And so they cry out to God. And they're like, God, what is going on? And God says, oh, there's not just a baby in there. There's two babies in there. And they are fighting it out. Two boys. These are active boys. And they're moving around in Rebecca's tummy. And I don't know this for a fact, but I think um, the two boys in, in Rebecca's uh, tummy, they're battling it out because the first one that comes out is gonna get all the privileges, right? In ancient cultures, and in this culture, the firstborn had all the privileges. They had two main privileges. Number one, they got all the power, all the status. They got to be kind of the shake of the community. They got to be kind of the, the king. They were the boss, they were the one in charge. And so when there were any family decisions, the elder, he got to, he got to say and everything that was going on. And then number two, the second privilege of being the firstborn was you got more money. You got twice the amount of money as everybody else, uh, all the other children. And so there was real a privilege to be able to be the firstborn. And so there's these, you know, these, these two boys fighting it out in Rebecca's tummy. And I just think that they're both like, I'm getting out first. No, I'm getting out first. I want to be the firstborn. No, I want to be the firstborn. And this goes on and on and on. And then finally one day, of course, Rebecca has these two stomping boys, right? These two boys that have got so much energy. And the first boy uh, that comes out, his name is Esau. Esau literally means hairy. So Harry was born, right? He was ruddy, he was hairy, um, and Esau kind of grew into a man's man. He was the guy that was rough and tumble. He was the guy that liked to chop wood. He was the guy that uh, liked to wrestle lions and bears. He was the guy that could spend hours in Bass Pro Shop just looking at all the stuff, right? I mean, he was just a man's man. He was a guy's guy. All he had in his closet were, were flannel shirts, uh, Wrangler jeans. I 
I mean, he was just always outside doing the deal, you know, getting muddy and dirty and all the guy stuff, right? It was just, ugh, that was Esau. The next child that was born, his name was Jacob. And it says in scripture that uh, Jacob came out and his skin was very smooth. He had a very nice complexion. Jacob, uh, he wasn't so much into the hunting and the fishing and the gathering and all that stuff. He liked to hang out in the tent, right? He liked to cook. He liked to bake. He liked to do all those things. And, and, and Jacob, I think he was into fashion, right? And so he had all the designer clothes, probably wore skinny jeans, kind of the whole nine yards. I mean, when you saw Jacob, you know, well, there is a dr good looking dressed dude, right? I mean, he was very domesticated, if you will. He loved to watch the cooking channel. And Jacob could make a mean red chili. All right? So, I mean, have you ever noticed that you, you can have two children be raised in the same house and they are polar opposites? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Oh, my goodness. It's unbelievable. That was Jacob and Esau. They were polar opposites. And Scripture tells us, um, and, and I know parents, we're not supposed to have favorites, right? But Scripture tells us, that um, uh, Isaac loved Esau and Rebekah loved Jacob. Well, you know where this is going, right? Esau was the firstborn. He was going to get it all. The power, the money, all that good stuff. And so one day, Esau is out doing what Esau does, hunting and fishing and gathering and, and all those great things. He comes into the tent and he's like... Whoa, that is real chili, red meat, right? No soy-based fake meat kind of stuff, right? This is real chili. And he's like, that smells so good, Jacob. Could I have a bowl of stew? And Jacob's like, sure. But first you need to give me your birthright. Whoa. This is where things get really interesting in the story. Because we think to ourselves, why in the world would Esau give away everything for his future for something so immediate, something so in the moment? How could he be so foolish? But I don't know about you. Have you ever been out um, doing something and you get really hungry? I mean, just like really hungry, like you feel like you could eat a baby dinosaur or something. I mean, you've just got a craving so deep to, to just eat, right? And then you get somewhere and all of a sudden you see food and you just tear into it because you are starving, right? And so Esau, he's got this craving to eat something so in the moment, something so in the here and right now. And all of a sudden he is facing a dilemma. Trade in, um, instant gratification, satiate himself, but give up his future, his unknown future, and all that is before him. That's the dilemma. That's the struggle. That's what's going on between Jacob and Esau. You know, it reminds me uh, of this uh, experiment that was done back in the early 1970s at Stanford University, the, the marshmallow study. Anybody ever read about the marshmallow study before? There was this PhD uh, psychologist 
um, uh, researcher at Stanford University, 1972. And they, all, they had a, a nursery, right, uh, part of Stanford University. And so what he would do is he would invite preschoolers to come into the classroom, and he would set them at a table, and he would show them a marshmallow, and he would say to the kids, here's the deal. You can have this marshmallow right now, or if you wait 15 minutes, I'll come back and I'll give you two marshmallows. And then he would set the marshmallow on the table, and he would walk out of the room, and of course, they've got, you know, watching what the kids are doing, these preschoolers are doing uh, through the, the one-way glass uh, mirror going on in the room. And you can read about the, you know, all that's going on in the room, and it's actually pretty hilarious what some of these kids did uh, to uh, resist the temptation so that they could get two marshmallows later on. And they did this um, with 12 boys and 12 girls, and then they recorded all the studies uh, for the kids who just went right for the marshmallow. Uh, that was one group, of course. And then the other group of kids that actually were able to, to have, exhibit some self-control, some impulse control, and then when the researcher came back, Back, he gave him two marshmallows and so study was uh, more or less over at that point in time but what they did is they followed these kids over the next several decades and just watched their behavior and how they did in life and what they found from this study is the kids who were able to resist the temptation uh, of just popping that marshmallow in their mouth they did significantly better throughout school they did significantly better on standardized testing. They did significantly better um, in careers and jobs and said so they became much wealthier as they went through life. And they even did significantly better in relationships. And the kids who just had no impulse control just pop it in their mouth. They didn't do as well on standardized testing. They didn't do as well in school. They didn't uh, have, uh, overall did not have as uh, uh, high paying jobs. And they struggled in relationships over a marshmallow. It's an incredible study if you follow, if you've ever looked at this study before. But this is exactly what's going on with Jacob and Esau. Get what you get right now and feel good about yourself or delay your gratification and we'll see what holds for the future. That's what's going on in this story. That's what's at stake between Jacob and Esau. And so you know what Esau did. He said, all right. Give me the stew. And he wolfed it down. And the birthright was switched. In that moment, that moment of weakness, Esau didn't have faith. In that moment, Esau doubted his future. He just was so focused on the here and now. I want to talk with you a little bit about that moment that I think all of us uh, struggle with. I think sometimes we think um, that the opposite of faith is doubt. And the opposite of faith might be doubt for sure. It's, it's I don't believe, I struggle to believe. But the problem when we oftentimes talk about the opposite of faith being doubt is we don't always know what to do with it. Right? Doubt is a difficult thing for us to know what to do with. It's not a helpful thing for us just to say, I doubt it or I struggle with it. Let me give you an example. Um, so um, 
If you've ever talked to somebody who says, I, I have doubt about God, or I have doubt about Jesus, or I have uh, doubt about the whole Christian faith, oftentimes what I'll hear people say is, well, you just need to have faith. I know, I don't have faith, I have doubt. And then it goes back and forth. Well, I, I doubt this, well, you just need to have faith. I doubt it, but you just need to have faith. See, there's, there's, there's this, this, this wall, it's, it, it seems to be this stating what the obvious is. I don't have faith because I doubt, and I doubt, so I don't have faith. Do you hear what I'm saying? I mean, this is really kind of the, the problem with doubt, is, is there's no solution, there's no kind of way uh, to bridge it. Or, um, let me give you another example. Something a little bit more uh, relevant here as I was uh, thinking about this this week. Okay, so you go into the Chevy dealer and you say to the Chevy dealer, hey, I'd really like that uh, 2020 uh, Corvette Stingray that Steven Strasberg got this past week, right, for being MVP of the World Series, right? I want one of those. And by the way, why does a guy who makes $10.4 million get a free car on top of everything else? Yeah, nothing to do with the sermon, but I'm just thinking, what in the world? He gets a free car? So you go into the Chevy deal, and I'm like, I want the cherry red uh, Corvette Stingray. And the, and the dealer, the, guy, the sales guy says, sure, that'll be $100,000. And you're like, I don't have $100,000. He's like, well, that, that's what the car costs. You, you need to have $100,000 to buy this car. And you're like, I don't have $100,000. And it goes back and forth. I want the car. You can't have the car. But I want the car. But you can't have the car because I don't have what it takes to get it, right? So I want faith, but I don't have faith because I have doubt. So what's the solution? It's just this kind of back and forth, back and forth. And I think a much more helpful way for us to think about the opposite of faith is fear. The opposite of faith is fear. See, I find in my own life, doubt is something that lives on the surface. But fear really gets at the heart of what's going on. When I talk to people about what they struggle with in life, they talk about doubt, but what really they're telling me about is fear. And that's what ties people up, and that's what ties me up. And I think about the story of Jacob and Esau, and I think about how Esau, it's not so much that he doubted God, but he was, he was fearful for his future. He wasn't sure. He even says in the story, what good is my birthright if I don't live into the future? I need that stew right now. So he was fearful for the future. Now fast forward a few years, or actually a couple hundred years, I think about uh, uh, the Apostle John. It was dinner time, and there were a lot of people, about 5,000 people gathered for dinner that day. And John, he was fearful that the people wouldn't be fed, that they would go away all disappointed. Because he didn't know what was going to happen in the future. But just a few hours later, there's everybody walking home. Because Jesus showed up, and their bellies are full. That Jesus has take, had taken care of the situation. Or I think about uh, the, the, the day, Good Friday. When Jesus was hanging on a cross and there was one of his closest disciples, Peter, looking at Jesus hanging on the cross. And Peter in his mind, I think more than anything, he was fearful. 
He was fearful that this movement of God was going to be all finished and that they were going to have to go back to fishing and doing whatever they did and all their hope would be gone. But on Easter Sunday, on the resurrection, hope came alive into the future and invited Peter to overcome that fear. Or I think about the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. Remember that whole story where God, where Jesus comes uh, uh, to the Apostle Paul and says, Paul, I need you to do something for me. And what was Paul's reaction? Fear. No way. I can't do that. I'm too much of a sinner. I could never share the good news of Jesus Christ with other people. No way. No how. So what he makes the Apostle Paul one of the greatest preachers of the gospel ever. You know, as we read scripture today, you know how many books in the Bible Jesus wrote? None. You know how many Paul wrote? Thirteen. And over and over and over, Paul talks about his fear. He acknowledges his fear. And he says, you know, I was the, I'm the chief among all sinners. And so I think when we can identify and name and label our fear, God comes to us, God meets us in that, and God says, I'm going to meet you in your fear, and I am going to help you. So let's get back to Jacob and Esau for just a moment. I don't know about you, but the story of Jacob and Esau, I relate most to Esau. The guy who just no impulse control. The guy who doesn't have patience. The guy who's just looking in the here and now. The guy who struggles to just wait. Anybody else impatient here or is it just me? Okay, just me and Mary Jane. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, that's just it, right? And so, and so I, I've been reading this story over and over all week long, just through the lens of Esau. I really identify with Esau. And you know what I found in this story is God's grace. I love that God shows up and blesses Esau in spite of his impulsiveness, in spite of his lack of discipline, in spite of um, forward-looking, in, in, in spite of his fear, in spite of his faith. God shows up, and you know, later, uh, God does, in fact, make um, uh, Esau a nation. Later on, they're called the Edomites. And so God blesses Esau. Even when Esau doesn't have faith, God still blesses him. That's the kind of God we worship, guys. I, I think that's so amazing. I think that's such good news. It doesn't depend on me, on my behavior, and what I do. God, when God comes to you and says, I'm going to bless you, he's going to bless you. And if you are in Christ, that's you. He's going to bless you no matter what. And so here's what it says in Hebrews 20, uh, 11, 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. He blessed them both. They both were blessed. I love that. I love that God blesses Esau. <coughs> now, Jacob also is blessed. And his family is known as the Israelites, right? And he has a son, actually has 12 sons, 
the youngest, Joseph. Remember the guy with the Technicolor dream coat, right? Grandchildren, and they go on and on and on. So, so the lineage of God from Abraham to Jesus, it comes through Jacob. But God also blesses Esau. He blesses him in spite of his faith. And then verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons. That's the grandkids, folks. And worshipped as he leaned on top of his staff. Then his great, 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 great grandkids, one of them, guy by the name of Moses. And the lineage continues. It's an extraordinary story of faith from one generation to the next. And I struggle. I relate most to Esau. So I want to just close this morning by asking you, what are you waiting for? What are you struggling to be patient with in your life? I don't know if it's a relationship, a financial situation, a job situation. Some of you are battling some health challenges. It's hard to be patient, right? It's hard to just trust, to have faith in God. It just sounds so easy. I just think it's so hard. So what are you struggling with this morning to be patient to wait? If I can dig just a little bit deeper, what is the fear? What's your fear for the future that's really holding you back? Let's pray. Oh God, we thank you for this remarkable story. Jacob and Esau, two boys, different as day and night. And God, yet you bless them both. God, that gives me hope that when you make a promise, you fulfill your promise. And it's not just hope, but it's confidence, it's assurance. God, through this story, you give me faith to believe that you're not finished with me yet. You got more work in my life. And Lord, most days I feel pretty impatient. I feel like I want it right here, right now, and get everybody get out of my way. So help me, Lord, help all of us to identify our fears, and to invite you to step into our lives, and to meet us in those fears. Help us to walk by faith. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer.